rabbits, tourniquets, jam jars, tweezers, golf balls, and of course, lard. But now it's time for the first in another season of Cultural Exchanges with BBC Radio 4. At the same time every week for the next six weeks, Radio 4 links up with us here on Radioactive. And today is indeed an historic day, as Radioactive celebrates its 17th birthday, that's just 183 short of 200. So we're going to celebrate our bicentenary right now, as we present a special programme recording... The History of Radioactive. And welcome along. I'm Mike Channel. And I'm Mike Flix. And together we're going to celebrate a very special event. Yep. Something that happened 17 years ago today. Your 30th birthday, Mike. Uh, thanks, Mike. No. In fact, uh, 17 years ago, you first heard this sound. Hello, Hello testing. Test Are we on? Uh, testing, testing. Uh, is this thing on? <laughs> Yes, the very first broadcast of Radioactive. That's right. And, of course, I was only a few years old then, but, Mike, you were there from the very outset, weren't you? Uh, yes, indeed, Mike. And, of course, uh, you made all the first mistakes, Mike. We did, Mike, and some people are still making them. But, uh, of course, <laughs> when we started, Radioactive was one of the pirate radio stations broadcasting from an old weather ship in the North Sea. Well, let's hear what it was like. Radioactive's flash. Hi, which we all are here. Look at a few things coming up between 10 and 11. We'll be playing uh, one or two tracks from the new Beatles album. Then from 11 to 12, we'll be playing some other tracks. And after that, we'll be playing the whole album until Steve gets back to the ship <laughs> uh, with another record. In the meantime, it's over to Mike Channel. Thanks, Mike. Well, uh, I'm delighted to have as our very special guest uh, this morning, Frank Sinatra. And, in fact, uh, he's been our very special guest here on Radioactive uh, for the last three weeks since, uh, <laughs> owing to the weather, he hasn't been able to get off the ship. <laughs> but uh, we're delighted to have him here again. Uh, welcome, Frank. Hi. Uh, Frank, would you like to hear anything in particular? Yeah, uh, the noise of traffic, my wife's voice, the kids running up to me and saying, <laughs> no, Daddy, no, I, 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 I meant uh, a record. How about uh, leaving on a jet plane? How about leaving on a helicopter? Frank, uh, <laughs> a message to your fans? Help. <laughs> Help, yes. Great. Well, uh, Frank, finally, what plans for the future? Well, in the short term, the big one is getting off this ship. Mm -hmm. And in the long term? In the long term, maybe coming back and sinking it. Great. I guess that must still keep you awake at night, the thought of that interview, doesn't it, Mike? Uh, no, I don't have any trouble getting to sleep at night at all, Mike. No? No, not since your late show started. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, Mike. I am being perfectly serious, Mike. Well, uh, it, was, uh, it was around that time that I did uh, Radioactive's very first phone-in, uh, helping people to come to terms with some of the problems that they faced in the 1960s. You're listening to... The History of Radioactive. And our first caller on the line is Dorothy Simpson. Hello, Dorothy. Hello, Michael. I'm rather worried about my son. Uh, what seems to be the problem, Dorothy? Well, he started to grow his hair long, and I was wondering, you know, if this meant he was, uh, well, 
homosexual like. Uh, no, I don't think so, Dorothy. It's just a fashion young people are adopting nowadays. I really shouldn't worry about it if I was you. Oh, good. So it's all right if his friend Trevor moves into his room with him then. Uh, uh, thank you. Well, uh, could we have our next caller, please? Hello. Uh, how can I help? Uh, well, me and some of my friends at school have been experimenting with uh, drugs and things recently, and to be honest, I'm a bit worried. I was uh, wondering if it's true about them messing up your hormones and that. Uh, what sort of drugs are they? Uh, you know, just pot and stuff. Well, uh, so far as I know, there's no evidence of soft drugs affecting the hormonal balance of the body, no. Oh, great, thanks. Not at all. Thanks for your call. Uh, what's your name, by the way? Uh, Samantha. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, thank you, Samantha. And uh, our next caller is Jeremy. Hello? Hello? <laughs> I listen to a lot of beat music on my record player, and my mother always says it'll damage my ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think mothers have been saying oh, that. I was just wondering what you... <laughs> well, I, th I think mothers have been saying that. Hello? Since... <laughs> uh, hello, Jeremy? Hello? I listen to a lot of beat music and my mother says it'll damage my ears. Uh, yes, well, she may have a point by the sound of it. Uh, what, what does your father say? Hello? <laughs> Forget it. Our next caller is uh, Miss Sarah Jarvis. Hello? 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 Get off the line. Uh, uh, hello, Sarah. My friend Cynthia says taking the pill makes you promiscuous. Is that true? Uh, well, to my knowledge, there's no medical evidence to suggest that, no. Uh, oh, well, I won't bother then. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, thanks for your call. Uh, hello, next caller. Hello. My daughter's always going on to me about joining the permissive society. I was wondering if you could tell me exactly what it means. Well, in what context does she talk about it? Uh, well, free love, commune, sexual liberation, that uh, sort of thing. I see. And what does she do? Uh, she's a nun. <laughs> well, I'm afraid we don't actually have time to answer that question fully, as I'm afraid that's all we've got time for right now, but I'll be here at the same time tomorrow night. Uh, so until then, stay cool, suss those vibes, and keep in the groove. From the depths of the past, one of Radioactive's memory moments. 1967! It was around this time that our investigative reporter Nigel Pry joined us from his high-powered job as editor-in-chief of the Macclesfield County Post. Throughout the years since then, he has, of course, with his vivid powers of description, brought us many first-hand eyewitness accounts of some of the most noteworthy events of the past decade. This was one of his first reports, the Orpington by-election. Well, as I speak, I'm some way from the platform, some movement down there, if I can just... It must be literally seconds, and the rumour here is that it must be almost be time. Yes, I can just behind me now is over there. He must be thinking, and the result already announced, and it must come as no surprise or a surprise to learn that if I can just speak to over there, still up on the platform where they've all gone, it's been quite a night, and back to the studio. <laughs> Nigel Pry there, the Richard Dimbleby of Radioactive. Of course, in 1967, I was still taking my O-levels. Yes, but you didn't get any. <laughs> You're listening to... The History of Radioactive. The swinging 60s, but what lay in store for the 70s? Mike Stand made these predictions. 
Well, I think the Beatles were split up, with Paul in particular making a great success both as a solo artist and with another group. Um, around the mid-70s, there'll be a, a reaction to the superstars from a young, aggressive movement characterised by uh, extraordinary fashions and outrageous behaviour, that sort of thing. And that will, uh, in turn, be succeeded by a new romantic style in dress and music that will end off the 70s, I think. Incredibly accurate predictions from Mike Stan. <laughs> made here on Radioactive just last week. <laughs> Well, the early 70s was the time of many firsts for Radioactive. That's right, Mike, like the first time you bought a round. <laughs> I was just waiting for your 18th birthday, actually, Mike. <laughs> Great. Super. Yeah. The development of the more sophisticated side of Radioactive was largely due to the efforts of our managing director, Sir Norman Tonsall. Uh, it was on his instigation that Radioactive's documentary department was formed and on his insistence that we now bring you the Sir Norman Tonsall story. <laughs> Norman Tonsall, founder of Radioactive, was born in Guildford in 1922. He remembers his childhood in Surrey. Yes, I do. <laughs> his mother, Sheila Tonsall, was the leading stage actress of her day. A renowned perfectionist, she gave birth to Norman six times before she was happy with her performance. <laughs> Norman's father, Arnold Tonsall, was a famous broadcaster of the 20s. My dad was a big star of silent radio, but when Signed came in, uh, he was finished. The post-war years were a difficult time for Tonsil. It was a time of rationing. Uh, shoes were hard to get, and you could only buy a pound of sugar a week, which was never enough to keep your feet warm. <laughs> Tonsil found it increasingly hard to get work as an actor. Hugh Stanley Clark, Quintus Professor of Elizabethan Drama at the University of Oxford, has a theory as to why this was. He was crap. <laughs> In desperation, he turned to gambling. My gambling career was a disaster. Finally, I put my shirt on a greyhound. It was a triumph. Soon every greyhound wanted one, and I made a fortune. <laughs> At last, he was able to buy his way back into show business. In the early 70s, Tonsil broke into television, setting up the Nixon-Frost interviews in which the most powerful man on earth spoke to Richard Nixon. <laughs> then came movies. His first film as a producer was Teen Exorcist, starring his child protege, Mandy Yummy. Mandy really enjoyed making that movie. Oh, yeah, it was really neat. I didn't have to do anything in bad taste. That's right. Mr. Tonsil got a stand-in for all the sex scenes. That's right. In fact, he wouldn't even let me near the set while they were shooting them. That's right. In fact, he kept me locked in his office and got me to dress up as a Nazi. Y yeah, thank and you, Mandy. <laughs> After TV and films, he turned to newspapers. His newspaper, a braille version of The Sun, was a great success. <laughs> Especially... Then finally, he achieved the ambition of a lifetime when he founded Radioactive. Radio is a wonderful medium. There's nothing like it first thing in the morning. Sometimes I gaze at that magic box by my bedside and I think, that's full of the money I've made out of Radioactive.
carpet. It's so clean. Yes, I use dial-a-carpet cleaner. <laughs> dial-a-carpet cleaner? Yes, you just ring them up and they come and clean your carpet. How do I do that? You just ring them up. <laughs> How? With the telephone, June. <laughs> oh, yes. And what's their number? A 246-8070. 246-8070? one if you're outside London. Extension 45. 246-8070. if you're outside London. Extension 45. Until four o'clock. After that, it's either 246-809 Ring dial a carpet cleaner. 246-8070-01 if you're outside London. Extension 45. Until four o'clock. After that, ring 246-8091 or 246-8026. Remember... Never mind. I'll clean it myself. <laughs> Honest Ron here. When you want double glazing, you want the best. That's why you don't come to me. <laughs> but, but even the best double glazing is subject to acts of God, as my brother-in-law knows. Well, as you know, Ron, I just installed the very best double glazing and you very kindly came round to advise me of its structural flaws. That's right, yeah. Well, foolishly, I didn't listen to you, Ron. In fact, we had a bit of a barney. Yeah, yeah, right, right. what, happened, what happened then? Well, only a few minutes after you left, my double glazing was suddenly struck by an act of God. To wit, five out-of-work jockeys with hammers. <laughs> so what did you do about it, Brian? I replaced my windows with Honest Ron's glass-style plywood double glazing. <laughs> I may not be the best, but I can give you an absolute guarantee straight up that no out-of-work jockeys will knock it in. Honest Ron, Honest Ron, the others are a con. <laughs> the History of Radioactive. Well, one of the major events in the history of... Radioactive! ...was the day Radioactive's very first TV star, Mike Stand, started his now-legendary mid-afternoon show. One man who remembers this period particularly vividly is Dick Jones, the disc jockey whose show was axed to make way for the new Telestar. <laughs> we spoke to him about it. Well, it had to happen, really, you know. I mean, he was a name, but I don't bear any grudges. You know, I'm happy where I am. How long have you been in your job? <sighs> Seven years. Well, ever since, really, but uh, now I'm my own boss. You're in charge here? Oh, yes, completely, yeah. And is this all yours, this toilet? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, Monday to Friday, you know, someone else takes over at weekends. I'm not one of those people who takes their work home with him, you know. Cheers. <laughs> uh, so you don't miss the glamour of being a disc jockey now? No, no. Or the fame? Or the fame, no. Or the pots of money? Or the, uh, money? No. Or the fast cars and glamorous women? No, no, I'd choose working nine to five in a toilet any day. <laughs> and you don't feel bitter toward Mike Stand at all? Well, I'd be lying if I didn't say I felt twinges of remorse from time to time. But you have made several attempts on his life. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But then over the years, you know, it gets to you, you know. <laughs> Radioactive flashback. <laughs>
Well, there can be very few artists who have stayed the course from the 60s to the present day. Cliff Richard, The Who, The Stones, perhaps. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Genesis. Pink Floyd, The Beach Boys. Well, quite a few, in fact. And uh, <laughs> among them are the popular American duo, recently reformed, Hyman and Carbuncle. I met my old partner on Fifth Avenue And when I asked him how he was He said the pits He'd been reduced to selling on street corners The 49th edition of our greatest hits So we ate ourselves to bagels Chewed up for our Things haven't changed, no We're still lazy after all these years They got a wall near Scotland It's 70 miles long That is an indisputable fact But nothing at all to do with this Themselves were only average, and the songs we premiered were frankly poor. Still, we made ourselves a million, and we paid off our arrears. We have unchanged, we're still be 50 ways to make a million and we know every goddamn one well 10 years ago america pulled out of vietnam 5000 died in a south american earthquake and mike channel hosted his first afternoon show a real year of disasters mike <laughs> Let's not forget 1974, Mike, the year you joined. <laughs> yes, indeed, I did, Mike. I remember how you immediately impressed me. Thank you very much, Mike. You used to make a really good cup of tea. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was when you used to do little odd jobs around the station, I remember. And uh, here you are, in fact, doing the sound effects in the very first episode of our drama serial, uh, Mrs. Naylor's Notebook. <laughs> Come in. Thank you, Mrs. Naylor. Shut the door, if you would be so good. Uh, have, have some. Uh, uh, never mind, Vicar. Just leave it open. Thank you. Tea, Vicar? 
Well, I wouldn't say no, Mrs. Naylor, not if it's hot and wet. Oh, you know my tea, Vicar. I do indeed. There's only half a cup, I'm afraid. Not to worry. <laughs> oh, more in the pot than I thought. Mm, yes, much more. <laughs> mm. Sugar? Ah, not for me, thanks. Ah, well, why not? Uh, one, one small one. <laughs> Two small ones won't do any harm. So, how have you been keeping? Oh, I mustn't grumble, Vicar, apart from my old stomach pains. Well, why don't you take one of my indigestion tablets? Oh, well, it's no trouble to you. Oh, no trouble, no. They're in my coat outside. Just a minute. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. I'll just leave it open, shall I? Give us some fresh air. <laughs> no, uh, on, on second thoughts, let's open a window. <laughs> well, here are the tablets. I find them very effective. Oh, I must say, I feel better already. It's a blessing you come round. <laughs> well, I love to visit this part of the village. It's so peaceful. Yes, I know what you mean. I like to think of it as the quiet heart of old England. Yes, mm, it yes. is indeed. <laughs> oh, my God! Oh, I know it went off. What the bloody hell are you doing with it? Well, that's the last straw. I've never worked on such a bloody shambles in my life. Maggie, try to keep and it. And you can shut it as well. Here am I, ex-RSC actress, forced to do this load of crap. I don't think it calls for that sort of thing. Don't you? Just because you've never worked on a decent show in your How life. How dare Come you? On. Oh, somebody open this bloody door! <laughs> oh, never worked on this door. 1975! And what an important year that was. Yes, indeed. And if we look at just some of the headlines of the radioactive news bulletins that year, we can see just how many extraordinary events there were. January, Watergate scandal uncovered. February, Soviet and USA spacecraft dock in space. March, Cambridge win the boat race. April, President Ford survives assassination attempt. May, Margaret Thatcher elected leader of the Conservative Party. June, Tony Benn appointed Minister of Energy. July, Egypt joins the EEC. August, death penalty introduced for parking offences. September, Nelson's column demolished. October, North Sea dries up. November, Queen Mother strips in public. And December... <laughs> December, news editor of Radioactive finally sacked. <laughs> You're listening to... The History of Radioactive. The Royal Wedding. 1981. Nigel Pry was there. Nigel Pry here, where thronging the roots are what must be literally, and around me as I speak, smiling, well, what could be almost up there on the roofs and down here, flags all around to each side, just in front of me, if I can just get closer, I can see what must be literally five Japanese tourists holding their cameras <laughs> over their heads, and yes, flags from all over many people and moving forward I can see a small child that I've just knocked over <laughs> flags and now the magic moment as I go over on my back and up there I can see the crowd the roofs and the flags and back to the studio <laughs> the history of radioactive well that very nearly brings us up to date Mike Mm -hmm. Apart from the drink you owe me, Mike, yeah. Yes, well, let's end with something quite recent, then. Uh, an interview recorded by New Girl Anadapter only last week. 
Most people have heard of Brian Epstein, but who, I wonder, has heard of another manager whose career has spanned almost 20 years? Brian Mudd. Hello. Brian, you've managed over 50 groups. Over 50, yeah. yeah. Why do you think none of them have sold more than 25 records? Well, Anna, I think it's, uh, I think it's the personnel of the bands. I never quite found the right people. Uh-huh. Who were the first groups that you managed? Well, the first group that I managed uh, must have been the Rolling Steins. The Rolling Steins? Uh, yes, they were four Jewish dentists from Edgware. <laughs> <laughs> They, are, they never caught on. I mean, they were the best dentists. They were very good dentists, but uh, they never caught on, even when I reformed them some years later under a different name. Which was? Uh, the Bay City Molars. Uh, after them came the Bachelors. Oh, yeah. Ah, oh, the Bachelors. Yeah, these were different Bachelors. They didn't sing, they just hung around bars picking up sailors. Oh. <laughs> Tell me, uh, did you have any problem with the temperaments of any of your artists? Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, there were the old moody buggers, yeah. Which ones? No, they were one group, the old moody buggers. They were always moaning and complaining, you know. Yes, Were you influenced in in your choice of names by other groups or singers? No, no, never. Not at all? Never? Well, yes. Yes. I did once give a singer a name similar to Gary Puckett. Gary Puckett? Yeah, but it got me into trouble. (laughs) Yeah, apparently there was another Jerry Puckett and he sued me. Uh... So, you've only ever sacked one group? Only one, that's right, yeah. The, Who yeah. were they? The Beatles, yeah. Well, no style, I don't know what happened. Well, good Lord, we seem to have reached 1982 already, Mike. Yes, it seems only half an hour ago it was 1965. <laughs> well, that's showbiz. Well, you should know, Mike, 17 years of radioactive, man and old man. <laughs> and uh, 17 years from now, Mike, who knows what Radioactive will be doing? You'll probably still be on the Late Show, Mike. <laughs> and with any luck, you'll still be on the Heart and Lung Machine, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Super. Well, uh, that just about wraps up this very special programme on the history of Radioactive. Don't forget, next week at the same time, Radio 4 will be joining us for Radioactive's annual Radiothon. Now, last year, if you remember, all the proceeds went to the Help a Starving Pensioner Fund. And with the aid of your money, we collected just over £19,000. And as a result, that pensioner has been able to dine out at the Ritz ever since. Starring Helen Atkinson Wood, Angus Deaton, Michael Fenton Stevens, Jeffrey Perkins, and Philip Pope. Music was by Philip Pope with Stephen Brown and Keith McCulloch. The program was written by Angus Deaton and Jeffrey Perkins with additional material from John Cantor and the producer, Jimmy Marville. Genital Idiot with Body Odour, the new play by Simon Platt, follows on Radioactive in one minute, when we also say goodbye to Radio 4 listeners who leave us for their own programmes. But first, a reminder that later on tonight you can hear Heavy Breathing, the last in our new series of bedtime sound effects designed to send you off to bed with more than a lump in your throat. Heavy Breathing, brought to you tonight by Danny Turner and Sally Chatsby, is at 12 midnight until about 25 past usually. But now, a congenital idiot with body odour.